When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Well, it's been a while since the last Fenway Rundown podcast. Good thing not much has happened in that time. I'm Chris Cotillo, your host. Uh, to call it an action-packed week for the Red Sox, probably be underselling it a little bit. I was out in San Diego for the winter meetings. With all that was going on, we didn't have a chance to record last week. Uh, you know the news by now. The Red Sox have added Kenley Jansen. They've added uh, Yoshida from Japan. Big move there. Five years, $90 million to the outfield mix. And Xander Bogart from San Diego Padre. 11 years, $280 million. I think that caught all of us by surprise. Very, very eventful Wednesday night on a red-eye flight home from San Diego. And, you know, the last few days, uh, lots of reaction. Talking to Heim Bloom, uh, kind of getting his take on how it all went down. You can check that out on the site at MassLive.com. But uh, a lot to get to, so we're going to turn to uh, one of the other experts on the beat tonight for that. It's Rob Bradford from WEI. He's covered the team for a while. You know him well if you're a Red Sox fan. And, you know, Rob uh, was there in San Diego, just like me. He was on the actual flight, the famed flight with Bloom coming home on Wednesday night into Thursday morning. So we're going to talk about, you know, what Xander Bogart's departure means for the Red Sox, kind of some other takeaways from the last few days, and then uh, where the organization goes from here. So without further ado, Rob Bradford. If you listen to uh, Red Sox or baseball-related podcasts, this is a voice in a face that I'm comfortable saying you see and hear way too much of. It is the uh, Rob Bradford from WEI, Bradfo Show, Baseball Isn't Boring, uh, McFarlane, you know, among other among other things. Um, m- multiple books. I mean, the list goes on and on of your accomplishments with, with the latest one being picking up Mass Live sloppy seconds on the Heim Bloom interview today, uh, so I wanted to uh, bring you on to uh, discuss that because uh, you know I think <laughs> we each had you know obviously long conversations with Heim in the last couple of days. There are some similarities, there are some differences. Rob will ask you to start. What was your your main takeaway from the chat that you had today on your show? Do you feel like the tone was correct? Do you feel like he's reacting to this Bogarts news well? Kind of how do you uh, take away what you talked to him about? Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Chris. Yeah, uh, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, and, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, baseball is not boring. And also, uh, right. UL February 28th, a damn near perfect game by co-authored by Joe Kelly and Rob Bradford. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a nice uh, present for, for Christmas on Amazon. Right. Anyway, um, uh, it was weird that Haim basically really, really wanted to do this podcast and said that there are so many things that he – wasn't asked and that he wasn't able to say when you called him the other day. Right. Um, That's objectively not true. 
They, they, he said he had a lot to get off his chest that he didn't feel like really was translated to print, um, but only in the podcast form. Right. But uh, but in all sincerity, good job of getting him on, on the coveted Friday night into Saturday slot. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like I wanted to be working then too. <laughs> no, but sincerely, listen. I mean, only only one person probably called him, and you did, and he picked up, and you got a good story. So uh, I think that I think that you know, first of all, he he wanted the timeline's important with the Bogarts thing to him. And, um, and so that was telling, but it comes back to what we were, we've been talking about. And I think that he knows this as well. And I don't think that he really has a great answer for it, which is, it's not about the Padres offer, right? Right. Not at it's all. About, it's about the Red Sox offer back in, in March and April. And that that was immediate. It wasn't, it was you, it was me, everybody was saying the same thing. I mean, they, they were never going to go 11 years for the city, the match of San Diego Padres. Right. But at the same time, you know, I was anxious to find out like, hey, okay, you know what, if you knew the market was what it's going to be, would that have changed your approach? And, and is this a wake up call for Devers? And it should be. Yeah. There you go. I mean, and his answer to you, I think was, Better than the one I got on Devers, like, you know, we're willing to do, I'll paraphrase, but something that makes sense or, you know, something that even um, is going above making sense, whatever it was. Well, that's, like, that was to me, like, that was the subtle thing. And again, it's yeah. all words. It doesn't make a difference. Right. But what, yeah, what he said, he said, uh, you know, what's reasonable or beyond reasonable. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, no kidding. I right. mean, welcome to the world of, of contracts and free agency. I mean, you have to, you have to go to beyond reasonable. I mean, and and then you have to go beyond reasonable, and then beyond beyond reasonable, mm-hmm. and that's where Devers is going to land probably. So there you go. Right, and we've seen that with obviously Turner, Judge, and and now Bogarts on this market, and and some other deals. Apparently, uh, <clears throat> Yoshida was beyond beyond reasonable. If you read some of the uh, scouting reports that have come out on him in the last couple of days, I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, do you find that Heim has been? in the last week, 10 days when we were in San Diego, since we've been home a little bit more candid or a little bit more conscious of getting the message across to fans. And I think I I personally think that's been the case more than he has been, you know, in the last three years on the job, like telling us, all right, seven, eight, nine players are going to be, you know, who we're targeting talking about some position needs. That was like hearkening back to the Dombrowski days, right? Actually giving straight answers to things. Um, Taking all these interviews. I think it's something about, about Bogarts. Obviously we appreciate um, do you feel like he's, you know, trying to be a little bit more active with the message in the last week or so? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you're right. He, the, the, at first it was the winter meetings thing about the seven or eight, whatever spots. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you say Dombrowski, but let's pump the brakes. Dombrowski was, Dombrowski was, hey, we're going to get a starting pitcher and we're going to get a closer and we're going to sign the starting pitcher and we're going to trade for the closer. You know, this wasn't exactly that, No, but it was nice to, you know, it's nice that you were sort of having some sort of direction. And, and I mean, Chris, I mean, this is, you know, this is that in order to keep the ice cream machine flowing, like you have to have the people paying the money. You have Mm -hmm. to get the people in and, you know, even you take the 24 hours of, the reports of the momentum, the momentum talk. Well, 
maybe they look at it as, hey, that's 24 hours of tell- selling tickets. I don't yeah. know. Like, and I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what the motivation for that was, but it, it was coming from somewhere. So, you know, so that, that they want, they are so desperate to keep that narrative going, to keep it going. And it goes back to like the Mookie Beth press conference where you had, um, you know, the call it ticket prices in the middle of the of the press conference. Like this is, this is a very real thing. And I think that much like the Mookie Betts thing stung business wise, and they were all panicking over that. Uh, you know, I think there's probably going to be an element of, of, of panicking over this, especially with when you have Devers with one foot out the door, uh, unlike with the bet situation. What's your read on, on how Wednesday went down? Do you believe what Heim told us both? I, I tend to that, you know, they, they pretty much kind of knew it was out. I thought he was acting strange in that last availability he had with us where he was mm-hmm. not willing to talk. I thought it was like a happy strange where he's like, oh, we have it locked up and we'll get to it. That's kind of how I took it. Apparently he was trying to drop subtle hints that it was over and that they were out. Um, and then you were on the, uh, the famous Delta flight, I believe. So share some insight into that wonderful experience too. Yeah. So I, if, if we, if, you know, I think that when you and I and others who were, talking to him before we left in that last press conference if we were going to try to guess what was happening off of the the, a lot of momentum um so forth and so on reports that we would have guessed that he was that they were going down the road of signing the guy i mean Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's how you felt no for sure yeah yeah i mean it's it's it was hard not to because, you know, and, and I think there was, there was, you know, I think I asked him like, Oh, did you meet face to face? We're not going to talk, but there was some idea or some reports that they were meeting face to face, but obviously mm-hmm. they didn't, but you know, all of that. And then, so we obviously, we knew that, you know, we knew who, we knew who was on whose flight. Right. Right. <laughs> like, it was yeah. weird that you kept trying to, you press your face up against the glass, trying to change your flight. It was uh <laughs> It was it was bizarre. Yeah, um, we took off we but, took off uh, a little earlier. Yeah, yeah. so we, I mean, listen, some of us are devoted to the craft, and we're going to stay at the winter meetings every to every last second. That's right. So, um, but um, I I think that you know, so to to set the scene for the, for what that was, we knew that Heim was on the flight. Um, Julie McWilliams was on the flight as well. You know, from the Globe with me. And, uh, and, and the news broke, what was it, like a half hour before the flight? Uh, I was talking to um, another writer from another market, and he said, oh, look at this. Okay. So we go over, and Rocco Baldelli is just leaning against the wall near the gate because, of course, he's sitting first class. He's getting on quick. So we're talking about the dynamic of, of that. Um, he's talking about how they're going to sign Christian Vasquez. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're they, – but we're talking about the whole dynamic because it had come out 11 years to 80. And so we're talking about that whole thing. And then Heim comes around the corner and uh, Julian was with him, Bussman Wood walking with him. And, um, and so we both, Rocco and I both look over at him. And as I said in the podcast today, it's like, he literally like, like he, he put, he gave me the highs, but he said, he said, you stay talk, you keep talking to Rocco. And I'm like, okay, like that's cool, like it's fine. And like I said, I'm of the mind of I'm not, you know, I, I wasn't gonna like 
go and try to talk to him because I just, that wasn't what I was going to do. Julian wrote a great story. Um, I thought it was, it was a fun story too. And, you know, that's what it, this is all about, about setting the scene. When we go to the winter meetings, that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that what off of your conversation with him and what I had talked to him about too, it, it, I do believe him when he says it was a done deal. Now, he he was honest, I think, when he said, but when the tweet came out and the news came out, that doesn't necessarily inform him, but it hits him. It hits him in a way that, you know, another wave of it right so you know it's coming and then here comes the wave on twitter and the reality of oh crap you know here we go here comes here comes the dms here comes the twitter you know here comes everything so Mm -hmm. anyway that's my take on it and he did say i don't know if i believe he slept on the plane but he said he slept a couple hours but red eyes suck well that that would be the opposite of my experience because uh, on the earlier, the JetBlue, first first of all, you lo- you lost out by not having Delta Sky Club access, I think is really the takeaway from, from Julian's story compared to uh, the Rob Bradford experience there. Yeah, well, believe me, the Rob Bradford experience has never included Delta Sky Club <laughs> access. It never will. So we, we get on, on our earlier JetBlue. They come over and say, great news going to be the shortest red eye of your life got great tailwinds four hours and 23 minutes so wow that is awesome we're literally taking off i am sitting back ready to fall asleep maybe watch an episode of the white lotus highly recommend by the way and uh great great awesome it is and uh we all the, and then the tweet comes and four hours and 23 minutes there's about two of them where i was not uh tickling the keys for mass live as, as we like to say so uh, a pretty stressful uh, flight there in terms of you know bad bad time breaking news. The JetBlue Wi-Fi held up. It was it was great. And, and then as I got into the Uber on my way from Logan, you know, just finally you know peace and quiet, time to relax. And the Uber driver was a I've had season tickets for 29 years, and let's talk about Xander Bogart's guy, which is at 5 a.m. Uh, was exactly you know the conversation that um, I was expecting to have. Um, I just feel let me ask you this, Chris. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Can I ask you a question, please? Sure. Flip it. Flip the script. Because I'm gonna like basically like cut this and put it on my own podcast because you know it's an easy, easy couple clicks. Um uh if you're in my spot, right? What do you do? What in terms of trying to get him or not? Yeah, so he comes around the corner, he immediately it's sort of like they uh, they circle the wagons with executives around him. Mm-hmm. Um, he gives you sort of like they uh, keep talking to Rocco. You know, what do you do? Did you know that Julian had him? Well, he was walking up with him. Yeah. I don't know. I would have been probably too. I was too exhausted at that point to talk to anybody anyway. So I'm not going to. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably, you know. I would probably assume he didn't want to talk and then be upset when i realized that the globe did get him but yeah i mean i mean yeah that's i mean it's it's like i said I, yeah whatever i mean it's 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 an interesting the timeline of it's interesting to me not necessarily the airport stuff but the timeline of it's interesting to me um and you know when i was doing the podcast one of the things i tried to do and i, I think you did as well the, the 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 nut that can't be cracked in that interview 
is the ownership piece, mm-hmm. right? Because those are his bosses. And we know that an enormous part of the story, maybe a bigger part of the story than Bloom, is the ownership piece. And he's not going to say anything bad about the ownership, which is, you know, understandable. So, but, you know, how do you integrate that into the conversation? And so the way that, you know, I asked him was, how does that dynamic work, which I'm genuinely intrigued by? You know, right. how do you, when do, when do you tell the ownership, hey, this isn't going to happen? And, um, and what does ownership say? Because in years past, the perception was, well, you know, ownership was not going to lose out on these guys, especially, you know, and we talked about the plan A comment, you know, when, when they're plan A, the Red Sox aren't going to lose out on that guy. And we all, and I don't know if you felt this way, but I always felt like, okay, you know what, in this case, the Bogarts are in the Devers. This is where ownership gets involved and takes right. the reins. And it doesn't feel like really that was the case. They sort of kept deferring to the front office's judgment. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, and I know this is a point that I, along with other people on the beat, harp on, and I've been trying to harp on it a little more, um, maybe as a bit, maybe not, but like we can't ask ownership how involved they are. And so it just leads to all these questions. And I think the other thing that works against Heim, public perception wise, and why this becomes all the blame on him and not on the ownership, which, you know, of course, he deserves his fair share. He's, you know, the head of baseball operations. Uh, you know, can't argue that. But, if he he's the one saying he's the number one, you know, Bogart is our number one priority. He's the one saying we need to sign this guy. And when Henry and Werner aren't talking, they're not saying these things that we can look back at six months later and say, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain here. Bloom is the only one going out and saying that Kennedy, obviously to an extent, and that puts Bloom in a, in a tough spot. And um, you know, that just goes back to yet another reason why John and Tom should, should probably have a press conference here at some point in the next three years. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I I wouldn't hold my breath. I think that a lot has changed. I mean, a lot has changed. That that is one of the biggest takeaways is that the ownership group that that we knew, you know, with that's and I really like I look at this as John Henry to be mm-hmm. honest. With you. I look at this as John because Tom Warner does talk every once in a while, right? But with John Henry, the, the it has changed because there was always uh, if you got to this length. You were always going to have some sort of availability. Um, and maybe, you know, I know that they have a press conference. The Kenley Jansen press conference is coming up. And, and you know, maybe he drops in. Who knows? But this has always been the case. But that hasn't been the case. And also what hasn't been the case of this shock and awe, we're going to beat everybody because we're the Boston Red Sox. There has just been a, a seed change when it comes to the, the perception of John Henry and the ownership group. Right. I, and I think this case was a, a perfect example of that where up Chris, like up until, you know, the Bogarts thing reaches its finality, we don't know. We're sitting there thinking maybe, maybe, maybe they're going to default to what they were always for the previous, whatever X amount of years, mm-hmm. but they didn't like they changed. They, when they hired Heim Bloom, they said, this is the way we want to do things. Because we think that this is the way to do things. Mm-hmm. And they have, they're doing exactly what they did with Dave Dombrowski, which is you do your thing and we're going to trust that you do your thing. Now, is that because they're distracted by a million other things it, where they weren't like 10 years ago? I don't know, but it's a very real thing to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously 
I, I think like it's tough to just take the 30,000 foot view where you sit back and you're like Red Sox fans are like livid with this ownership group that has brought them four championships in 20 years. You know, like, do you think about what these guys, their standing was, you would know better than me because I was eight back then, but these guys probably walked like gods in 2004, 2007, all that type of stuff. And, and now that perception has changed. And it kind of on that kind of same note, big picture wise, in terms of Red Sox fans being aggravated, being pissed off, like, where does right now rank? I mean, you you had the experience of covering the team during the actual curse of the Bambino where everybody's just disgruntled constantly for literally eight, yeah. nine decades. I mean, where does this moment, this last couple of years rank up there? Because it just feels like, you know, to me, being like it was kind of the lovable loser thing before. And now it's like this, you know, it's just it just again, not being on the beat back then don't know as well as you or some other guys would, but like, is it different and is it worse? It is different. I think because you're on the, you're teetering on the a word, apathy. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, obviously like you look at social media and people aren't apathetic, they're mad, but this is where it's going to, when you see the apathy, it's going to be in ticket sales. Yeah. And when you, and we, that's where the trend has been, really after the pandemic, they, they've really mm -hmm. been scrambling. We already know we've talked a lot about the $9 tickets and, you know, the lower, the demographic changes because of it and all that, whatever. Right. And TV but, ratings as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's the worst thing that can happen to them. Now, when people are, were pissed off with the Red Sox, think about this, you know, so you go through, they buy the team, they go through their run. They don't really have any down years, right? Mm -hmm. Then they get the 2011 dream team. They collapse. 2012, Bobby Valentine. It's almost like a car. You can't a car crash. You can't look away. Right. Like that, that was still. And then you know you turn things over. So there's some optimism, and and obviously you win. You win, and then uh, yeah, sure you have a couple of last place finishes, and you're pissed off. But they're what they're trying to do why you're losing after those last place finishes is that, yeah, you might have one year where you don't, where you do the five aces thing or whatever, but then mm -hmm. you have, Oh my goodness, here comes David price. Here comes Kimbrell. Here comes Chris sale. Yeah. Like there, there, there's no messing around. We are the Dave Dombrowski hire was the no messing around with the Boston Red Sox and hey, everybody come back to the park. Well, mm -hmm. they haven't had the no messing around moment. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where I think people are pissed off. They want that. Mm -hmm. And 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 they they aren't getting it. They're getting the slow play. You're gonna have to trust us. It's gonna get better. You know, as as Heim said today, he's like, you know, listen, I think this season, this team is gonna be better than last year. I think last year was even better in 2021. But you know, it's that's a leap of faith. Right. But to to your point, um, it's just they just can't get into the world of apathy. And they're very very fortunate the Patriots aren't that great. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean that's. That's that's a huge part of it. You know, I was talking about this is back when you were uh, a negative one or whatever. But the movie, the the the, the timeless classic, Fever Fever Pitch, right? right. Correct. Mm -hmm. Remember that movie? Of course, right? I've seen it. Yeah. Like the, for you, it's like there's some the there are some scenes that my parents had to block out my eyes and ears for, but yeah, you know, yeah. we went through we got through it at the Catillo it's household. So old, it's like they had they they had to they had to like colorize it on yeah, the of stage. course. So. Uh, 
but I, I was talking. I was talking with my wife. I don't know how it came up, but we're talking about when they were doing the whole scene um, where they asked the fans to stick around after a game. Said, "Hey, listen, come to the game, and then we're gonna film the scene where Drew Barrymore like falls out of the stand and then runs across the field and everything else." And like the feeling. I remember the feeling like that, that that was like such a thing, like the Red Sox were such a thing. And that was in large part because the ownership had energized everybody mm-hmm. so much. Can you imagine them that, trying to do, do ima- that now? Can you imagine <laughs> what, what, I mean, can you imagine if, if they asked the fans to, to stick around now? They're like, no, we're not sticking around. They'd have, to, they'd have to ask the, the cleaning crew to turn off the vacuums <laughs> like 15 exactly. minutes after the last pitch. But that's, but that's, I think that it comes back to our ownership conversation, which is the, the ownership had energized the franchise so much and really did that. I think all the way up till remember, I mean, John Henry sat on the bench and said, we screwed up the John Lester thing. I mean, mm-hmm. all the way up until that, but in ever in recent years, it's like almost been treated like a hedge fund, you know, mm-hmm. more than anything. And I don't think you could put that on the bumper stickers. Yeah, right. That's there you go. Like that and socks packs, holiday socks packs. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's yeah. Twenty to answer your question. Yeah, people are pissed. You know, I I don't know like like the what the react when you talk to Heim and the reaction to your story. You know, I was sort of bracing myself because you know there's no you know the guy can can say every single strike every tone right and people would be like. Well, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't care. You know, I hate this team. He's doing a bad job, whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, they, they got it. They get an uphill climb and, and, um, I do wonder, you know, I do wonder about the business side of things. I do wonder about that. I mean, this was this, the Bogart thing, forget about on the field. I don't know how you feel like they can still be good. Like they can still be good, Mm -hmm. but to me, it's sort of like the perception of the team. And when I say perception, I mean the business side of things. And that's the, that's kind of, as we wrap up, like the thing I wanted to ask is where, if you're the Red Sox, where do you go from here? You know, there's answers on how you fill out the roster, but it is like, you know, I just have had this conversation about five times in the last four days. Like even if they go out and sign Correa, right. And they get maybe a better player than Bogarts, he's going to be more expensive. Then that opens yourself up to questions of, why would you go overpay for this guy when you could have gotten our guy for less, right? So, like, even that move doesn't even save them. What what does save them in the eyes of the great Rob Bradford? Well, you know, I said all along, it's the plan A. The plan A comment was, you know, like, once you say plan A, even, like, to your point, even if you sign Carlos Correa, that's plan B. And yep. you paid a lot more money for him. So, it's a bad mm-hmm. look. But what to answer your question, what saves them? It's like, you know, they're not. I don't think they're that far away from being a good team. If no, I agree with that. They they still have to add some guys, but they're not they're not decrepit. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they put it, put that on the barber stickers. Two thousand twenty <laughs> twenty three Red Sox were not decrepit, right? Um, but uh, you know, I I think that, and that's what everyone's getting so worked up over. Um, I don't know what their over under win total will be. I'll probably be lower than last year, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I so you agree with me. I don't think they're, they're, they're gonna be. They have, they're probably gonna. They're gonna, what they have like sixty million dollars more to 
reach the luxury tax threshold. Um, they can they add a lot of guys. The winter meetings is like 5% of player acquisition. Mm-hmm. So, just, but it, it does, it's two, for me, it's two different conversations. It's the Red Sox, like, are the Red Sox going to be good conversations? And what are the Red Sox doing big picture conversation? Yeah. yeah, we solved a lot of problems today. And at the end of the day, I think Haim believes with some of the quotes he gave both of us that winning does cure all. Um, and like I said, uh, talking to some, I was on the uh, the ITM podcast, if you've heard of it, with, with Steve Peralt and Joey Capone today. And oh, yeah. we're talking, talking about in 2021 in the playoffs, when they were winning the wild card game, when they were beating the Rays, when they were up on the Astros, was anybody there concerned, like, thinking, oh, damn, I wish Mookie Betts was on this team right now. Winning cures everything, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and also, like, every high bloom can do no wrong, and look at, like, he's a genius and everything else. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course. But it, it's funny because one guy that hasn't been brought up, I don't think a whole lot, is the next, what, the perceived star of the organization, which is Marcelo Meyer. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, for the Red Sox, you you got to get to Marcelo Meyer. Right. I mean, you got to get there and that's going to be another, that's going to be another season, season and a half. Mm -hmm. But once you get there, then I think that, that you can start, you know, the conversation might change. And obviously you also put Bogart further in the rear of the mirror, uh, you know, but then you have the Devers thing, but I think Marcelo Meyer, and you've seen him play. Like, I think that he is like legit. Yeah, and he's an exciting player. Get to him, re-sign Devers. You know, have have the rest of the core of the team, cast us and everything, and you'll be Damn. okay. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't preclude preclude you from from bitching and moaning about what's going on now. That's our rite of passage, right? And definitely uh, the rite of passage of every single person on Twitter the last couple of days. So lesson <laughs> learned here: if the chief baseball officer of a team gives you the stiff arm in one of the low points of his career. You just stay away. You know why? Because you got to play the long game. Right? Social capital. It's social capital. I know. I agree. You got to you got to play the long game. If I go up and, and say no, 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 then there's no podcast dropping on Monday morning. So <laughs> there, there you, you go. go. That's Rob Bradford. We appreciate it. You want to plug your uh, many many things one more time? No, I plug the one thing that's that uh, every I'm doing a favor for everybody. It's like finding a twenty dollar bill in your pocket. Uh, in the wash, mm-hmm. like order your book now and then receive it in late February. A damn near perfect game, reclaiming America's pastime, co-authored by Joe Kelly and myself. It's it's it may be the publisher is saying it's the modern day ball four. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, absolutely, and if you know what that is, great. But do yourself a favor buy your buy your loved one a couple books. Feel good about yourself. There you go. Heard it here. Probably not first. That's Rob Bradford. <laughs>